Can you hear me? Morning. Good morning. Can you hear me okay with the, I'll get the kind of the earbud thing here. Is that, is that coming through all right? That's perfect. Okay. There's a giggle here. It's making so much noise. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear that noise in the background. What is this? <laughs> Hi, I'm Cyril, your host, and welcome to my podcast that I called I Really Want to Do This. In this podcast, I interview guests from all walks of life and try to understand the various ways that different types of people with different backgrounds and experiences succeed in achieving their goals in their very own ways. Think of the past 10 years in your own life. Have you had a personal goal, an objective? Maybe you call it a dream of doing this one thing. You really want to do that one thing, whatever it may be, but for some reason, you never succeeded in making it actually happen. Well, by showcasing successful achievers and asking them how they did it, I sincerely hope that this podcast will give you some ideas and maybe answers on where to start, how to proceed, in order to actually do that one thing that you really want to do. Hi everyone, this is Cyril, and today we have an amazing guest. His name is Greg, and uh, we're gonna get to know him right now. Uh, so happy to have you, Greg. How are you doing today? Doing great. Excellent. Look at that. I love it. Energy. <laughs> uh, tell me where you are right now. Where, where is home? And, uh, uh, I'm in Seattle. That's, that's been my home for most of the last 20 years. I mm -hmm. uh, had, had a short stint in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. and Originally from Michigan, but uh, Seattle's my home now. Oh, so you were born in Michigan. And what made you move to the West Coast? Okay. Well, I was training for the Olympics leading up to 1988. And... I found a job opportunity for an engineering firm in Southern California, Newport Beach area. And I wanted to uh, move there so I could train year round. And there are also some elite paddlers training that same area. So that made me move, leave Michigan originally to the West Coast. And I spent a few years in Southern California. And then from there, another opportunity came up working with Ocean Kayak up in the Bellingham, Washington area. So I moved up there and uh, then met my wife-to-be and eventually ended up in Seattle. Mm. So, so you mean that you, you were training for the Olympics, but you still had to, to work at the same time? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, you hear you know, all these, these Olympians that are worth mm. millions of dollars, that is a very small quantity of people in the Olympics. And typically, it's in the uh, sports that get a lot of coverage. I mean, you'll see it basketball, obviously, the dream yeah. team guys are all worth millions. Uh, gymnastics to a lesser extent, maybe track and field and swimming. But once you get beyond that, most of the athletes in the Olympics, at least on the U.S. team, are struggling just to pay their bills. Canoeing, right. archery, uh, I mean, just there's all these other minor sports that, um, mm -hmm. yeah, there, there's, there is a little bit of support, but not a lot. And so I was uh, working my entire time competing for the Olympics. So that makes it a goal that is mostly out of passion, right? And we'll go into this because I think this is so interesting to, to work so hard at something that is, uh, you know, where is the fire coming from? I just love this. So we'll go in, in the main part of the, the podcast, go back into this. But uh, can you go back and tell me a little bit about your, your childhood in, in Michigan, your, your family environment, and maybe your siblings, your relationship with your parents, and tell me, you know, where it all started. Yeah, well, I grew up on a farm in Michigan. Uh, father was a pig farmer. Awesome, awesome. Crops, corn, other things. Uh, started out very modest. And as I was growing, the farm grew and we brought on employees and the farms become quite successful. But uh, as a kid, I had an uh, older brother, younger sister. And I guess we were like any other rural farm family. Uh, went to school, worked on the farm. And then my brother became interested in canoeing. My father had done some canoeing when he was in high school. And then my older brother at age, 
I don't know, maybe 12 or something, saved up his money and bought a canoe. Mm -hmm. And, so and was that on the, on the lake? Uh, it was, we, it was on, there's a lot of small lakes and rivers near where I grew up. Uh, initially we lived in Horton, Michigan, and then moved to Homer, which is South central Michigan. And, and the canoe, I remember a lot of the time it's spent on this little pond we had on the farm mm -hmm. and we just sit there. And sometimes I'd ride my bike over and jump in it and paddle it around when I was eight years old or whatever I was quite young at the time, but mm -hmm. I thought it was kind of fun. And, uh, then we'd take it out in the rivers or lakes as, as a family and enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the, the daily life. Is it like what we think about the back in the, back in the days, the farm where the kids had to chip in, you had to go and feed the pigs. You had to go and then you had your course after school. You would have to do that. Did you? I, at a younger age, it was primarily on weekends. I think when I was five years old, my father gave me a job on the weekends going in and cleaning some of the pig pens. And so mm. I would get in there and, and clean the pens. And then as I got older, I started doing a little bit of after school, but most of it was weekends and summers when we were around. Uh, my mm. older brother and myself, uh, we'd be out there working on the farm. Uh, looking back, do you think that had an influence on your character building and resilience maybe, or having to do something in discipline maybe? I, I think it did. I, I think having chores uh, definitely helps build the character. Uh, I mean, the pigs, they've got to be cared for. You can't just uh, slough mm -hmm. off and, and forget to mm -hmm. feed them or forget to clean the pens. You, you've got to take care of them. And I learned that at a young age that it's just got to be done. And whether you mm -hmm. like it or not, you go out and do it. I think I started out at 50 cents an hour at age five and gave me a little <laughs> <spending> money. <laughs> did, did you have that same attitude with your own kids? Or... It, not, it wasn't quite the same. My, my kids, uh, I mean, I, I, living in Seattle, grew up in the city and, you know, certainly, mm -hmm. you know, I like them to be responsible for what they're doing, but it, it's not quite the same, uh, I guess, new times, new situations. Yeah, totally. Uh, tell me more about your, your personality traits back when you were kids and I'm interested in the ones that you think you were born with that is maybe, you know, I don't know, being curious and not like natural traits versus the ones that you've built. And the one that you've built through your parents, maybe giving you those chores, but also the ones that you've decided to build. Yeah, I'm a bit more of an introvert and I'm not sure if that's being on a farm where there's not as many other people around. It also could be, I was born with club feet mm -hmm. and went through a series of surgeries as a kid. And so that may have somehow kind of separated me, made me feel different. And, um, mm -hmm. but I think it is definitely a combination of what I was born with, the way I was raised. And then when I started canoeing and kayaking competitively, uh, getting bit by the bug and wanting to do as the best that I could. Mm -hmm. And so you're competitive. You're, you've been always competitive. Like, did you remember when your childhood compete against your old brother and do things? Or? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, When we, when I were younger, my brother was a couple years older, so he was bigger, he was stronger. I looked up to him. He always beat me. It wasn't until mm -hmm. I was age 18 that I think I beat him for the first time. And uh, you know, I was competitive with him and just competitive in general. And I, I think one of the things that, that really sticks in my mind is my, my parents sort of got into competitive canoeing. My brother had this canoe mm -hmm. and my father heard about our local town was putting on this canoe race. And so He called up his buddy from high school and said, hey, let's, let's use our canoe and go in this race. And so they got mm -hmm. in the race and I think they finished fourth or something. And he sort of thought that it was fun and, and heard about more races in Michigan that you could do. And so he went out and bought a racing canoe rather than just this aluminum yeah. uh, standard touring canoe that, that we had. So he bought a racing canoe and started mm -hmm. training with my mother and started racing. And, and pretty soon they're winning the mixed division of, of races throughout Michigan. And so I, I wow. saw that, hey, you know, if you want to do something, you know, you get the right equipment, you, you put the time in, you train several times a week, you can start winning some of these things. Mm -hmm. What is it about competition that you, you, you like? Is it the, the actual winning in the end? Like you, you feel like you accomplished something that you had set your mind to? Or what is it? Because we can talk about winning. Um, what do I mean? Like... And also it goes to the definition of success. I'm, I think I'm competitive, but when I do the Yukon River Quest, I don't mind that people are better than me. 
But at some point, I think you're, you're a different way. Like you want to, did you want to beat everyone? Why? What's, what's the strive yeah, about and this? It's kind of funny because throughout the different stages of my life, that's changed. Yes. You know, as, a, as a youngster, I just wanted to get in the race and do it. And I was smaller and younger and often got beat, but yeah. I always wanted to do better. And then I started winning. And then when I was competing on the national team and going to the Olympics, then it became, to me, it became much more important. Hey, you know, I, I, I can, I want to win this event and, and I'm going to structure my whole life around it. And there was mm. a period in my life where training and competing was number one. I mean, sure. I had, I had jobs, I had girlfriends, I had other things, but when a push came to shove, if the most important thing was getting out there and doing that training session, because I wanted to win the event later on that year and, other things became secondary in my life for a period of time. Now that I'm older, I've had some success. I, I still enjoy racing. When I'm out there next to somebody coming to the finish, I'm going to go as hard as I can to try to beat them, but it doesn't consume my whole life. Um, yeah. I, if I feel like going on a family vacation for three weeks, I'll do it and yes. train. And, and, you know, I've, I enjoy life now and I still have that competitive urge, but it, it's not all consuming. Excellent. Do you have a motto? Uh, I always ask people that because I think it's it could be super interesting to to see if that motto stayed or is it just a, a series of motto over time? But, I don't have a specific motto, but I, but I think one thing that sticks in my mind it, it happened when I first started having international success. And that was around age 20. And when you go to a large international competition, there's a series of heats and semifinals and, and just to get into the finals. And at that yeah. point, U.S. was relatively weak in sprint canoeing and kayaking. And it was, it was rare for Americans to even make it into the finals of a major event. And uh, I finally, when I was 20 years old, I, there were some big events. I started making finals and doing reasonably well. And I remember getting into the finals and telling myself, okay, I, no matter what happens, I'm just going to race my best race. Yes. And I realized that even if I was the slowest person in that nine person final, I could usually finish seventh or eighth because somebody is going to blow up and just throw it in. It was yeah. somebody they got a chance to win. They have a bad start. Mm -hmm. And if I just keep plugging along, I'm, I'm going to beat this guy that uh, that's having a bad race. And, And so that's always been my sort of my motto of racing is no matter what happens, just keep going and just do your best. Yes. Do, do your best. And don't worry if, if I'm, you know, if I'm in seventh, I'm going to try to get sixth. If I'm in second, I'm going to try to win. And if I'm winning, I'm going to try to hold that position. But I, I think I've had a lot of mm. success by not giving up. Right. Well, there's two things. There's one is do your best. And in a way, if you do your best, you're never disappointed because you did the best. You could finish sixth or seventh, but you did your best. And then the other one is not giving up, which is completely different mental game where you have to be so strong. And did you build that over time? Like that, that never yeah, giving definitely, up? Definitely. I and mean, certainly there's, I think anybody's been successful that they've had ups and downs, times when they're doing great. And then times when things, they get sick, they get injured, they uh, have, uh, Uh, their training's going poor, they overtrain, whatever happens. And that's, those are the toughest times to pull through those. Mm -hmm. It's easy when you're winning, you're, yes. you're kind of on a high, you're on a roll, things are going great. But before people get to that point, there's almost always some obstacles in the roadway with them. And mm -hmm. I think one of the things that helped me pull through was at a young age, I met Marsha Jones Smoke, who was uh, a bronze medalist in Olympic kayaking. And she became my first coach. My, my parents had met her at a canoe race in Michigan. She was living in Michigan at the time. And she said, hey, I've, I've got this group of kids I'm training. If, if your sons want to come down and, and train with us, they're welcome. Mm -hmm. And so I went down and, and she started coaching my older brother and myself. And I remember looking up to her. And just mm. thinking, wow, this, this woman has a medal in the Olympics. Wouldn't it be really cool if I could do that someday? And mm -hmm. I think I was... 10 years old or a really impressionable age, I, I sort of brainwashed myself like, hey, mm. I, I want to go to the Olympics. I want to win a medal. And that really uh, stuck with me. And in the hard times, I said, hey, I, this is what I want to do. I'm going to pull through it. So what else? Tell me more about Marsha. I think 
she probably had a significant impact at 10 years old is really early in one's life. More than just the, the fact that she had a medal, what else about her personality made you want to be like her in some ways? I could see how hard she trained, that, that she, mm. you know, she was training on a regular basis. She was doing mornings, afternoon, doing two-a-day sessions. She's traveling to Europe, training with other people. And uh, I realized that, that that's what you need to do to, to be successful. And at, at that point, she was the most successful U.S. paddler. And so I was fortunate to have wow. her to look up to and, and to, mm. uh, to be my coach and to be my mentor. It, it's funny how the people you meet can change the course of your life. Had you not met her, maybe your life would have been so different. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's been several people along the way. She was my early coach and then I've had later coaches and yeah, there's certain things you, you come to a pathway and I'm going to do this or I'm going to do this and you choose one way and maybe it's successful, maybe it's not. And you never really know what would have happened if you'd chosen a different path. Mm -hmm. But certainly, you know, meeting her made a big difference in the ultimate success of my kayaking mm -hmm. career. That leads me to your, I really want to do this moment. I ask you to think about, was there one really, I really want to do this moment that triggered the, the like the rest of, of your life or your career, different success one after the other? It seemed that meeting her, Marsha, at 10 years old could have been one. Is, is this one of those? Yeah, that, that was, was it. I wouldn't say there was an exact moment. Like suddenly I was just going on with my life and, and I said, oh, I really want to do this the next day. It, it, mm -hmm. it came over a period of time that yeah. I met her, learned about her, realized what she'd done at age 10. And then when I was 12 years old, I went and watched the Olympic trials being held for canoeing. They're held in Rockford, Illinois, and my older brother competed. He, he was quite oh, wow. young at the time, just yeah. a couple of years older than me. So he had no chance of making the team, but he went there and, and raced a, a race or two. And, and I went and watched, and it, this was Marsha's final Olympics. So I got to see her qualify. There are other people that I knew uh, at that point that were making the Olympic team and going to Munich. And so, um, you know, at, at that point, I think that was another sort of a little nudge that way that, hey, these people are going to the Olympics and another four years or eight years or 12 years, I can do this. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really interesting because that's the reason I want to do this podcast. Because for me, I'm so intuitive. I'm so emotional that I do wake up in the morning thinking, I want to do this <laughs> no matter what. And it could be a, a one-year goal of like, I'm going to cross the ocean. But you seem to have, because of your personality is so much different, You seem to be much more controlled. Did you think, okay, this is what I think I can achieve? Or um, obviously it was not, I want to be a gold Olympic a paddler. Was it, let's see what I can do and, and put, what's the process in creating those goals for yourself when you're only 12 years old? Yeah, I, I definitely made that, made that a goal. And I realized in the back of my mind that I might not achieve it mm -hmm. because Uh, Marsh had won her medal in 1964. Here it is, 1972. And it's another 12 years before I won an Olympic medal. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the odds were stacked against me. You know, for every American that takes up canoeing and kayaking and everyone that wants to go to the Olympics, very few of them actually make it there. And then fewer yet go on to win a medal. So I, I realized that I may not accomplish it, but I'm going to give it a try. I remember um, I'm at age 10, I, I drew this little watercolor of, of you know, I, I guess I was like 11 or 12, but painted this little watercolor of myself in a kayak Did winning you? the Olympics, like crossing the Ooh, finish line or something. See? And, and so, you know, at that point, I already thought that's, that would be so cool to, to go to the Olympics. So why was it, is it the discipline is K1, correct? It's flat water canoe or what, which yeah, flat, one is? Flat water, uh, the sport uh, called, it's, it's, or it's actually called canoe kayak now, but they've got canoeing events with single blade paddle, kayak event with double bladed paddle and at, at that time there was only uh flat water sprint racing on the mm -hmm. same venue as rowing we race a little shorter distance but it's essentially as fast as you can go in a straight line yeah there's also uh, white water events now in the olympics so there's white water slalom and then there's 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 uh, flat water sprint racing so my specialty mm -hmm. has been flat water sprint primarily a singles K1, but I also have a, a gold medal 
in the double chi at K2 event. And you say that Americans didn't go at this level. Where were the nations that were really good, like Eastern European, I would think? But it, it was mostly Eastern European. I mean, I mean, Europeans in general, certainly the, uh, during the, the Soviet Union era, the Eastern Bloc put a lot of emphasis. For them, I think it was propaganda that mm -hmm. they wanted to show that their mm -hmm. system was working, they were successful. And so they invested a lot of money in Olympic sports. And so it was, I mean, it was the Soviets, the East Germans, the Romanians, the Hungarians, mm -hmm. uh, Czechoslovakia, Poland, a lot of these Eastern European, and also so, some of the Western European countries, the, the Scandinavians have always been very strong. They, they've mm -hmm. always had uh, uh, really good paddlers that, that have done well in the Olympics. And outside mm -hmm. of Europe, it was very rare for somebody to win a medal. Right. Yeah. And traveling was not as frequent. So, um, you didn't have the opportunity maybe to go to Eastern Europe that easily, uh, I imagine. Tell me about, okay, let's, let's try to, I want to get as many lessons from you as I can. Uh, <laughs> okay. So you told me that you would, you know, get a coach, you would get um, everything together as to be, to perform as, as best, to train a lot. Is there any pattern uh, to your daily lives that have been like throughout the years, whether you're 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, that you've put together to be successful in paddling, but not only like in uh, like starting well, a company. Certainly for paddling, there's a lot of training that goes into it. For every hour you spend racing, you probably spend a hundred hours or more training for it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, structuring that uh, at the elite level, when I was training my hardest, that first thing in the morning, I'd get up, I would go train, go work out, I'd go paddle. And then again in the afternoon, I'd either go for another paddle or go to the gym and lift weights or go for a run or, or do some other activity. Mm -hmm. And so I always had those times every day sort of set aside where I'm going I'm to go do this. I'm going to work on it. And it wasn't the same every day. I mean, I'd have some days where I'm training two or three times and some days where I'm only training once or maybe taking yes. a day off to recover. But still, I had a plan that, okay, this, this morning I'm going to get up. I'm going to be on the water at 630 I'm going to be off the water. I'm going to go to work. And then after work, I'm going to be back on the water at four o'clock or four thirty or whatever it is that that was a part of my day. And it mm -hmm. was just structured into it. What, what intensity did you put? Uh, I, we have this idea of the elite athletes always getting their best, giving more than any other competitor. What was the intensity? Did you give yourself some slack at some point? Like I don't feel great. So I'm listening to my body or did you have that intensity at every train? Intensity was there for most of the training sessions, but there are within that, especially that's what a coach is for early mm -hmm. on is, is actually saying, okay, here's a couple of hard sessions. Now, now here's an easier one. I want you to keep your heart rate at this lower level and it's not going to yeah. be as intense because um, at that time I didn't realize how important recovery was, mm -hmm. but certainly the coaches did. And, and the training effect, the, the training actually tears you down and makes you weaker. Yes. And your body builds itself back up stronger. So you certainly need to give adequate recovery time. But as you progress, you find that your body can, can handle a higher and higher load and, and recover quicker. Yes. So as you get better, you can train at higher intensity and you can train at an amazingly high level with, mm -hmm. uh, without tons of recovery time and maybe, maybe just a half a day off. Mm -hmm. So recovery is um, a time when you don't train, but what are the other parameters of recovery? Um, you know, comes to mind, good nutrition, um, sleeping well, uh, massage, uh, maybe, uh, you know, calm in, in your head as well. It, any other parameters you could, could talk to us about, about recovery? That, that's, probably, that's probably covered. I mean, the, the main thing is, is eating and, and sleeping. Mm -hmm. that you, know, you need you need your nutrition you're, you're burning a lot of calories so you've got to refuel you've got to you've got to sleep well at night so your, your body can repair itself and recover certainly having the right head if, if you're you want to be thinking you know I, I always find that people tend to do best when they're happy mm -hmm. if you're happy yes. you're, you're probably going to perform much better than if you're angry or you're uh, feeling bad or, or things like that so and you know, uh, massage can help. I, I've used 
that at times. It hasn't been a big part of my uh, recovery, but probably could be. Uh, maybe that's something I could have used, utilized more. But uh, mm. um, you know, there's certainly um, a lot of ways. But the primary, the, the two big ones, I think, are just nutrition and sleep and recovery. So when you stress your body, you said you never recover time physically, and I think it's the same mentally. You could work a lot, like in 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 half time for recovery. Uh, did you create an environment around you where you, you had that mental rest as well? Uh, or was it just family time? It was just, uh, you know, uh, being an entrepreneur and creating your company and you had to deal with it? Or did you make sure that you had that recovery mentally and emotionally as well? I, I think part of the recovery is, is finding something else to do. And that was one thing for better or worse. I mentioned that I was always working throughout my career and I had a job. So I, I would train hard in the morning. I, uh, when I moved to California, I was working for an engineering firm. So I, they were flexible with my time and said, okay, we realize you're training hard. Rather than working eight hours a day, we'll let you work six hours a day. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd show up at nine, gave me time to do my session in the morning. I start working at nine and it's like, I, I flipped the switch. Okay. Yes. I'm going from kayak training mode. Okay. Now I'm at work. So rather than thinking about um, you know, how hard I'm going to paddle or what my heart rate is or how tired I am. I'm thinking now about this engineering problem. I'm trying yes. to find a solution for, and then uh, at 3:45, I, I clocked out and, and then I was back into driving to do a second session training and I was back in training mode, but I think having that break in between mm -hmm. of, you know, even though I, I wasn't laying on the couch recovering, I, I think just mentally, it gave me something else to think about and to do. And I, I've seen other people, sometimes they'll go all in on, like, that's all they're doing. They're yes. Training, and then you kind of obsess about it and you yeah, get and stuck. So they're, so they, yeah. they, they do their training. They're, they're really not training probably any more volume or intensity than I was, but they've, they've maybe got a little more time to recover and they're, you know, they're, they're resting between and maybe they can get that massage because they got some downtime or they can do other things. But I, I found you can make short-term gains that way. And certainly I'd be in that scenario in the summer times, I'd travel with the national team for maybe two or three months. And at that point, it was pretty much 24 seven, all about training. Mm -hmm. But I've seen when people tend to do that for long periods of time, I think it becomes counterproductive mm -hmm. because it, it just totally consumes your life and you don't yes. get that mental break. Yep. And, and I've seen it in, in training camp situations when, you show up at a training camp, you're happy to see your friends. You've, you haven't seen yes. them for several months. You're all excited. You're working together, you're training together. And then after, after two or three months, maybe this thing that somebody does, it kind of bugs you a little bit. And you know, this other person does, um, mm -hmm. but then you go back to work and yeah. you don't see them for, for nine months or, or three months or whatever. And the next time you see them, you're happy to see them again. Yeah. But if you're stuck in that scenario for three years continuously, then the little things that somebody did that you hate, suddenly it gnaws on you and you worry about that. And, you, and, and, and I've always felt that it's good just to get out of that situation and, and think about something else, do something else, and then come back to it with a fresh mind. Mm -hmm. Wow, so interesting. It, it works for couples therapy too. Huh? <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I go on a, well, it was pre-COVID, but you go on a, on a work trip for a week. And of course, you know, your other partner, you you're unhappy to go let them go, but you come back, you're even better, <laughs> you know, yeah, and yeah, exactly. breaks. I, mean, I, I think, you know, same with couples, you know, if, if you're, uh, if you're, you know, that close all the time and, and, you know, yeah. I, I think COVID has probably contributed to some, mm -hmm. some marital oh, yeah. problems because people, when they're normally off doing, they're going to work, they're doing different things and they see each other at the end of the day and suddenly they're stuck in a house together, uh, 24 seven. And, and, um, yeah, those little, little things that bug you and then mm -hmm. you forget what you really appreciate about the other person. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me about your, your other person uh, quickly. How did she follow you through your journey? What, how did, what was her life like? Did, did she have her own goals as well? And uh, like her, yeah, just, I really yeah, want to do this. Her, yeah, I actually, I actually met her after I was still competing. It was after I'd won my, my gold medals. I, I competed mm -hmm. in three different Olympics won a bronze medal in 84 in Los Angeles, then two golds in 88 in Seoul. 
and then another bronze four years later in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So I met Justine uh, about a year after I'd won my gold medals. I was at a, a canoeing event. I was living in Southern California at, t- at the time. I attended a, uh, some canoeing events up in Washington State. She was from Seattle. So I met her, we exchanged phone numbers, started, started seeing each other. And then uh, when I moved up to, to Bellingham to work at Ocean Kayak, we were relatively close to each other. So uh, it was more of a weekend relationship that uh, every weekend I'd drive down to Seattle and visit her. Or she'd come up to Bellingham and visit me. And, but she had her own life. She was working for uh, Army Corps of Engineers and then transferred to the EPA. So she had her, her job and her career mm-hmm. and I had my training and, and my work. And so um, we mm-hmm. were kind of doing, doing our own things, but it was really fun on the weekends to get together. And at that point we were focused a lot on each other. And then mm-hmm. during the week we'd go off and, and do our things. And eventually after um, after the next Olympics, um, you know, after that, then we ended up getting married. Tell me about uh, the roadblocks you might have had in your career, and how do you how do you feel about them, and how do you how do you, what's your approach to problem solving of those roadblocks, whether it be uh, injury or not not succeeding as as you expected, and uh, what's your approach to issues in general yeah certainly i mean there's always times uh, unless you win everything which, which i didn't do i started out losing a lot because i was smaller and younger than most of the people i was racing against so i learned to lose uh pretty early on but mm-hmm. you always want to beat the person that was just ahead of you or the person ahead of them uh regardless if you're 29th you want to become 28th or 27th and if you're third right. you want to come first or second so you're always looking up to beat somebody there's always disappointments when you thought you could have won or you thought you could have been top five and you finish further down mm-hmm. in the rankings. I remember when I was uh, at the junior world championships in at age 17, my goal was to make the finals in the 500 meter singles. And I got nudged out of the finals in a photo finish. So in the semifinal, oh. top three went through. Um, I was fourth by a couple of inches and my coach managed to get a, a copy of the photo finish from the, from the photo finish tower. And I remember I, I took that home and framed it and stuck it on, up on my wall in my room and thinking, okay, you know, I, I, I need never again. Extra, oh, really? I, I need those extra three or four inches. That's, that's all I, you know, I just need that little bit more to, uh, to get through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there was a later time when I was in my early twenties, I, I came down with chronic fatigue And I kept trying to train harder and harder and I kept getting slower and slower and more depressed. And I finally quit training for a while and, and tried all these different things, seeing doctors, am I sick? It's what's, what's going on. And at that time, I think their chronic fatigue was kind of a new thing. They thought, well, maybe I've got mono or some other disease. Overtraining maybe, or I, I think it was, I think it was probably overtraining. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think I, I overtrained. I, I, you know, I was, I was taking a heavy load of, uh, of engineering classes at the University of Michigan. I was trying to train a lot, mm. uh, not sleeping as much as I should have, and, and I overdid it and got this chronic fatigue and started my performance started going down, 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 and uh, I was getting depressed. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of had to do a reset. Like, okay, I'm just gonna um, take it easy for a couple of months, and then I'm gonna start back slowly. And I'm not going to try to win the first race and I'm going to mm-hmm. start enjoying it more. I'm going to start rather than thinking that the training session is an obligation that I have to do. Yes. I mean, that I want to do that, that I want right. to get out there. And it definitely took, uh, you know, it took me a couple of years to, to fully build back to where I was before. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that it, at some point in there, I even thought, geez, is it all, maybe I should just give up trying to go to the Olympics that, um, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's not in the cards for me. Maybe I should just do something else, but I, I managed to, uh, and I think people do have second thoughts at times, you know, mm-hmm. oh, should I, should I continue on? Should I, should I stop? Is it too hard? Am I going to be successful? Mm-hmm. And ultimately I, I said, Hey, I, I do want to do this and I'm going to, going to pull through it. Mm. Okay. So if I resume uh, you could use, Uh, a roadblock to uh, not let you down like the, the photo finish you're talking about, but to motivate you even more. So you use a roadblock 
not as a blocking, but like, okay, I'm going to thrive through it. And the other strategy you had was, okay, I can't seem to go anywhere. I'm not going to push against my head against the wall and I'm going to reset and start again and refine my motivation, the original motivation for what you were doing. Yeah. And it depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. When I was 17 years old, I was all excited. Hey, I want to go those Mm -hmm. six inches faster. Yes. Uh, Then when I was in my mid twenties, I was still motivated, but I I realized pushing harder was not working anymore because that, that's what got me into that scenario. I keep trying to push, 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 and I'm getting tired. I'm getting depressed and my performance is going down. And so uh, I have to try a different approach. So tell me about uh, a few years further down those, those moments where maybe your performance was starting to uh, go down compared to the, the status of the others, where obviously age is, is a factor of them. How did you transition mentally to um, new goals that would still fulfill you? Because, uh, you know, it's, it's, you're on the top and the top, and then and now what? Yeah, that, that, was, that, that came to me at the 92 Olympics in Barcelona, where I won another bronze. And also fourth place finish in the, in the K2 event. But uh, four years prior, I, I'd won two golds. I was on top of the world. I was still highly competitive. Uh, thought I had a chance at another gold. Came away with a bronze. And when I looked at the results, uh, the winner was Clint Robinson, 19 years old. Yes. Second place wow. was Knut Holman from Norway, 23 years old. I was third at age 32. Mm-hmm. And fourth behind me, uh, right on my tail, was a 19-year-old from Romania. And so uh, I started thinking, well, you know, may, maybe it's time for me to move on from this. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of success. Uh, Justin and I were enjoying each other. I said, you know, I'd like to get married. I actually like to start earning some money, you know, mm-hmm. w- working a few more hours instead of taking, uh, you know, working shorter days and taking months off to, to train. I, I like to do some other things with my life. And so for me, it was was sort of a, you know, leading up to that, I, I was already thinking, okay, this is probably my last Olympics. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to yeah. uh, go do the best I can, and then I'm going to move to a different phase in my life. But paddling has always been your passion. So tell me about when you created Epic Kayaks and what was the idea behind it? And was it because I really love this, I have this knowledge, I want to pass it on, or, or just uh, tell me about about this phase? Yeah, I've sort of gone uh, back and forth between working uh, with my own business, making equipment and and working for other people. Uh, Right out of college, Mm -hmm. I I had a small business making canoe paddles, marathon canoe paddles, carbon fiber. Really? I developed this, this, yeah, uh, most of them at that time were made out of wood and I started playing around with, with carbon fiber and composites. And so I had this little company doing uh doing carbon fiber canoe paddles and, and made my own kayak paddles out of carbon fiber that i used mm-hmm. uh, to win the, the two gold medals but uh then i came up with i uh, you know, i wanted to to go someplace uh, where i could train year-round and also where there are a lot of other uh, high level competitors to train with so that, that was the move to california got mm-hmm. a job with an engineering firm I, w- I was lucky at that time there was this new program with the Olympic committee called the Olympic job opportunities program. And so I contacted them and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I've got my engineering degree. I'd like to get an engineering job in, in the Newport beach area where I can train. And so they put me in touch with this engineering firm and said, Hey, there's, there's somebody there. He's a vice president. He thinks our, you know, he's kind of, he, he likes the idea of, of supporting Olympians. So go talk to him. And I, went and uh, his name was Al Sacker. He was a vice president there and he interviewed me and offered me a job. So moved out to, uh, to Southern California. Mm-hmm. And then after I won the medals in the Olympics, um, this guy from Ocean Kayak, Tim Niemeyer, contacts me and, and say, hey, uh, would you mind doing some promotional stuff for us? And I said, sure. And, and he found out he's an engineer. And so he, then he offered me a job uh, doing engineering work for them. So then I, I moved into the kayak sports, uh, back into the kayak sports arena. And later on, I decided to go uh, back into paddles, making kayak paddles. So it's just kind of more from, mm-hmm. from one thing to another. Yeah, it all make, made sense. Tell me about, um, I feel like everybody has the same amount of opportunities that come in their lives. 
And the ones that are successful are the ones that are making the right choices, whether this is a good opportunity to take or not good opportunity. And like what you just said just before, where I wanted to get better, so I moved to California. And then I had an opportunity, this guy offered me the job, and I said yes, and then I moved on. And, and two people could start from the same point, but depending on the decisions they made, you know, they could reach completely different place in life. Well, did you feel like you were lucky and, or did you feel like you made the right decision to go to uh, the right opportunities at the right time? What, what is the part of your decision-making in, in your flow? You were always driven and I want to do this and do this or. I, I think some of them were definitely the, like the conscious decision to go to California and train. I, I think that helped me. You know, I, I think that actually took me from bronze medalist level up to gold medal four years mm. later, ha having that going to, uh, some place where I could train easier year round. There was other competitors I, I could train with out there at a high level. There was uh, Philippe Bocara, who was on the French team. He, he was uh, winning medals internationally and we were frequent training partners out there. So, so that certainly helped doing mm -hmm. that. Well, that was a conscious decision, yes. know, going to California. Uh, one that was less of a conscious decision was choosing the sport of kayaking. And that just happened because my family was into it. And so I got into it and then I met Marsha who was mm -hmm. very successful. And so I wanted to be like her and, and looking back that kind of happened because of my family and because of these other people I'd met. And mm -hmm. it was, luckily it was a very good choice for me. And, and the reason being the fact that I was born with club feet and had these surgeries, I mean, I could run, I, I, I went on the cross country team in high school. I was, because it was good cross training and we had a really good coach and I learned a lot from him, but there's no way I was ever going to be a state champion or an Olympian in running. I just, I didn't have the feet right, for it. Right. And, and, and kayaking, I had a lot of the attributes that were needed. I had uh, a thousand meter races. I had good, I think genetically I have good endurance and I'm maybe slightly on the smaller side of, of elite kayakers, but I'm in that range. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you don't see uh, many men that are, you know, five foot two winning international kayak yep. races and sprint yep. racing at a high level. You don't see many that are right. uh, above six foot seven, you know, yep. it's kind of, uh, and so, uh, you know, that, that happened to be a really good sport for me to get into. And, and that was more of a random thing that, you know, I didn't consciously say, oh, kayaking's my sport. It's not like uh, supposedly in East Germany, when kids were ages 10 to 12, they would send uh, sports scientists to all these schools and they would actually screen the people and say, oh, you've got the right genetics. You should be a high jumper. You should be a swimmer. Right. Yeah. You should be a, a kayaker. You should be a whatever. And, and they would, would place them in the sport that was the best for them. And I was lucky that I just sort of fell in to the sport of canoeing and kayaking that I was uh, very well adapted, that fit me very well. And I think that's something else. If, if you want to be the best at something, you need to think to yourself, am I suited for this? Yes. Do, do I have, do I have the right attributes? You know, do I have the right, uh, you know, if you want to be a, a nuclear scientist or a brain surgeon or, or something, you know, do I, do I have the, the, the math skills or, or whatever? Does that come natural to me? Am, am I naturally good at, at what it takes to do that? Uh, because if you're not, you can butt your head against the wall and, you know, you, you may eventually be somewhat successful, but you're probably not going to be the best because yeah. being the best, it takes dedication, but it all, you've also got to have some, some natural talent towards, mm -hmm. towards that thing. So you had the, the, the DNA because you're such an athlete. I just, here's the little story. We were at the Gorge Downwind Championships last week. And there was this erg competition on the rowing erg. Three minutes as far as you could go. And I'm not a bad rower because five years ago, I trained a lot of, on the erg. You know, I crossed the, the Pacific from Monterey to Hawaii on a rowing boat in 39 days. So I'm pretty good on the erg. And uh, two months ago, I was ready to cross on a kayak. So I was fit. And you beat me by 20 meters. <laughs> you did 800 oh, did and I? Yeah, I didn't, yeah. I knew there was a lot, a lot of people with, with uh, you know, obviously I, I would never be an elite level rower because most of them are 
you know, minimum six foot two and a lot of them are yeah. six, four, six, six, whatever. Yeah. And plus I don't have the legs for it, but, but I do have a very strong cardiovascular system. Yeah. And that's amazing. I, ergo, <laughs> I, you know, I, I know how to push myself. I know how to hurt. Yes. So, but I was know, like, what? I'm 45. You're probably 15 years older than me. And you beat me by 20 meters. What the heck? And I went back again and I, I did age 51 and I improved age 52, age 53, but did age, age 71, age 72. That was like mind blowing. And congrats for staying fit so much. What do you do these days to stay fit? You paddle, still paddling, yeah? Yeah, I'm, I'm paddling uh, several times a week. I'm cycling. I do uh, road cycling, mountain biking. Mm -hmm. enjoying that as, as sort of cross training and uh, to give me something else that's fun and and also strike a good balance between upper body lower body and uh yeah i still i really enjoy paddling i enjoy competing uh like i said it doesn't consume my life if, if i want to take a, a week off or two weeks off and go do something with the family i'll do that or, or if i'm tired uh i don't feel guilty about taking a day off or, or a weekend mm -hmm. to go do something that that's uh that's not uh, necessarily making me a better paddler, but I still enjoy it and I still do it. And I, I hope that when I'm 80 or 90, uh, I'll still be doing it. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, one of the guys that impresses me, uh, there's a, a rower from Seattle, Rainer Storb, who at age, I think he was about 82. He still, he's, he's in his mid eighties now, but a few years ago in the very first 7048 race, 70 miles yes. from Tacoma to Port Townsend, he rode it in a quad at, in his 80s and finished. Uh -huh. I think they were like, I don't know, fifth or fourth. They were, they were definitely in the top finishers. And, in like 12 hours. And wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I said, you know, I, I hope when I'm in my 80s, I'm still able to do this kind of stuff. And it's just really impressive to see yeah. uh, people that are, are still active and, and still having a good lifestyle. And, mm -hmm. um, and he still works, or at least he was at that point. You know, he, he was working at Fred Hutchinson uh, Cancer Center up into his 80s. So I, I hope that I'm, I'm still uh, active and enjoying life um, at that stage in my life. Fantastic. We'll have to do another podcast in 15 years then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the conclusions, I've got two questions for you. One is, if you had to give an advice uh, to the listeners, one takeaway, uh, one thing to remember, like that, to listen to this one thing, what, what would that be? Yeah, I would say, you know, find something that you're passionate about and, and then do it. Mm -hmm. And the, the hardest step is the first one. The, the first step, if you're going to get up and, and go out and if you're going to go for a run or you're going to go for a paddle, it's, it's the first step out of bed. Yes. Getting you to do that rather than sleeping in and, and, uh, and, and waiting till it's time to go to work. You know, it's the hard, the getting started is the hardest. Yeah. And, and I found that as I went, I would say, okay, I can push myself this hard and go this fast. And then once I did it, I said, well, maybe I can push myself a little harder yet and go yes. a little faster yet. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 it's little steps. You don't realize what you're capable of until you actually do something. And then you say, I can do even more. Mm -hmm. and, and even getting back to the, the DNA thing, I, I, I think I had decent DNA, but I think there's a lot of other people out there in my sport that had a lot more natural talent than I did. Yes. That didn't get nearly as far. Right. That, you know, I think that to me, if I had to put, you know, I, I think my success was probably 80% mental dedication and 20% and uh, natural DNA. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think you'll, you'll see that, that natural ability will take you so far, but the people at the very upper level, they, they've always got that drive mm -hmm. and that motivation. Yeah, it's finding the passion. And for me, again, it seems like crazy that people don't know what they like. They don't know what their passion is. What, just do what you like and do it again and even more and more and keep doing it. What makes you vibrate, right? This is... Yeah, yeah, just find, and it's funny. I think people are starting to find that somewhat, or at least the, the people I, I, I guess it shows my age that the people I'm hanging out with, some of them are, are saying, well, I'm retiring now. It's because COVID hit, yeah. they were forced to, to work at home, and then they took up 
some hobby or other activity that they enjoy doing mm-hmm. and they're saying, Hey, I, I really enjoy doing this. Yeah. Um, you know, I think people are reevaluating their, their lives at this point. I think a lot of people are, are saying, Hey, I don't have to be, I don't have to go to the office five days a week for eight or 10 hours every day. I can, I can do some other things. And, yeah. and I think that's, that's Passion. important to, uh, uh, I think to live a full life is, is find something you enjoy doing it and, and, and choose what level you want to do it at. I mean, right. you, you can enjoy uh, a sport and, and not have to go to the Olympics and not have to win a medal. You can just do it because you enjoy it and it's your passion. Well, 100%. It's never too late to start a passion. I, I started paddling only 12 years ago when I was 30, 30 years old. <laughs> I didn't start like 10 like you were but i'm still enjoying myself and maybe you'll change to another water sport maybe wing paddling on the surf ski whatever i'll go where the passion is yeah, uh, yeah. and i think like yeah. you say it's never too late i heard someone say the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago yeah and the second best time is now exactly so you know maybe if you'd taken up kayaking 20 years ago you might have been better than you are now but still if you if you start now you're still going to enjoy it and you're, you're going to go places with it. Perfect. So to all the listeners, you want to start cooking, start cooking now. You want to start taking pictures of butterflies, do that now. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I love it. Where, where can people uh, follow you, Greg, or learn more about you if they want to, to, to uh, follow, keep following your journey? Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm with Epic Kayaks. That's my company. Uh, mm-hmm. Website is epickayaks.com. That, that's just our product. I do have a Facebook page, uh, Greg Barton Athlete. You can follow me there. I'm probably not as good as I should be. I'm, I'm sure you give a lot more updates than I do. I, uh, <laughs> once a month, I may throw something on there if I'm lucky, but um, uh, you can certainly uh, follow that and, and see what I'm up to and um, hope to uh, interact with a lot more people. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Greg. I, lo- I loved it. Um, and uh, I, I know the listeners did as well. Um, with this, have a beautiful day and I hope to see you on the water soon. Okay, yeah, ho- hope to see you on the water and uh, maybe over in Hawaii after you've landed. <laughs> oh, yes, let's do this. <laughs> uh, thank you uh, to all the listeners. I'm your host, Cyril, and remember, life is an adventure. Live it. excellent thank you so much greg okay good yeah hopefully you got uh something good out of that you can use you know the 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 goal for me is just to inspire people to follow their dreams so but thank you so much for participating i think it was great sure yeah that was enjoyable and then i'm sure we'll cross paths here uh at some point oh i I know it okay great thanks joe aloha Aloha. bye greg (laughs)